My name is Larry Kamgya. I'm originally from Cameroon, from Douala, Cameroon, a country in Central Africa. I come from a middle-class family. So I grew up with my mom, my dad, and all my siblings. And yeah, I didn't really need much growing up. I had what I needed. I think it goes back to when I was in elementary school. I had a classmate, his name was Shane Michael Smith. He, well, his dad was American, but he never met his dad. And I know everyone in the neighborhood made fun of him, I mean, made fun of his mom for being a whore because she didn't have a husband and she had a mixed kid. So we got closer because he didn't have that many friends. No one wanted to hang out with him because he didn't have a real, normal family. I just remember having that feeling of, I don't know if it was a friendship or it was more than that, but I was, I felt really connected to him and I, I really wanted to be with him. And I remember one day, after playing video games and playing soccer, we decided just to hang out in my bedroom. And I just, I just wanted to take a nap with him and just hold him, and that's what I did. I mean, growing up with kids, boy, you always see a guy and a girl, a prince and a princess. I was wondering, why am I growing those feelings for another man? Is it just a friendship? I was wondering sometimes, is this what it means to have a best friend? You know, when you go through puberty, you start to get to know your body and I just remember having sometimes boner just by looking at some of my friends that were very attractive, but they were male friends. And that was very really uncomfortable sometimes because I, I couldn't talk to anybody about it. I couldn't tell my brothers or my dad or my friends that, look, listen guys, I think I might be different. It is very dangerous to be a gay man in Cameroon, especially when it comes to dating. In Cameroon, you can get arrested for being gay and go to jail for about five years. It's written in the constitution of the country. I met a guy online. His name was Eric. He was a college student studying engineering, and he was actually planning on going to France. He was waiting for the result, the response from his scholarship application. We met him. He was 21 years old, and I was 18. And we decided to spend time together and we decided to go to a hotel because, you know, in Cameroon, it's very, you can't do PDA in public, you, we can't hold hands, we can't do any, we can like, I don't know, hug each other or do any kind of, of uh, intimate thing in public. When we got to the hotel, he booked the room and at first the lady at the register was giving us a look. She was probably wondering why are these two guys renting out a hotel room at two o'clock in the afternoon on the weekday? So she gave us a key, and when we went upstairs, she was still like staring at us. So we got upstairs, we were staying in the room, laying on the bed and talking, and 15 minutes later, I just hear a bang on the door. I opened the door, someone was like knocking really, really hard, like they were just about to break the door. They got in, and they asked, what are you guys doing here? This is Cameroon, we don't want no gays here, and stuff like that. And I actually tried to reach for my pants, they told me to leave it on the floor right away. And my friend, they, told, they told, actually told us that they were going to drag us outside and tell the neighborhood that we were gays and we got the room to have sex so that the neighborhood could decide on our sentence. I started crying. That was a, the worst day I would say in my life.
people are so violent that, like, for example, when you get caught for robbing, some, for robbing, they will kill you on the street. They do not care. And for them, they won't even call the cops on you. They will kill you. So I feel like for them finding out that I'm gay with another man and telling me that they would drive me outside, they would probably burn me alive. So I started crying and begging them for not doing that. And that just happened to be the day my dad gave me money to pay for my tuition. And I told them, I have money on me. I can give you money. Please don't do this. They asked me how much money I had on me. I had 100,000 francs, which is a couple of hundred dollars. It's not too much, but in camera, it's a lot. Before they released me, they told me it wasn't enough. They told me they wanted more. And since I had my school uniform in my bag, they saw it and they knew what school I was going to, a private school. They told me that they would need more money for me to be free. Every Wednesday for a year, they would come to my school, wait for me at the, at the gate, and I had to give them money for them to leave me alone. Other gays, and there's probably a lot of gay men in Cameroon that probably got killed or that probably got arrested because they didn't have money. And the fact that I was fortunate enough to have, I don't know, money to like, pay them off for, so that they can leave me alone, that's what actually kept me alive or kept me free. They stopped bothering me because I graduated from high school and I moved to another city for college. They asked me to wear my pants and run away quickly which is what I did. I ran away, I didn't look back, I just ran. But Eric didn't have money on him. I don't know what happened to Eric. I don't know if he's still alive. We met online, so I don't know if he still has an account. I never went back to check on that because that was, that was scary. I decided to choo I choose to believe that Eric today is in France. He probably got his scholarship. He's probably an engineer today, and that's what I decided to think. To believe. There's a website called GayRomeo.com. I remember when I was a freshman, I created an account. I met with someone who told me he was gay. We met around by the gas station in my neighborhood, and he had a motorcycle. He actually told me, let's go for a ride before we just hang out. So I got on his bike and we just started driving. And at some point, after the sunset, he decided to park his bike. It was, a, it was like a dead end. I was wondering, why are we, why are we stopping here? I thought we were going to like, bike around the city and then maybe stop somewhere and have a drink. He stopped his bike. He asked me to get off. I got off his bike. and. He got closer to me. There was a wall right by the wall. I thought he wanted to kiss me. And he got really close to me, and he asked me, are you gay? And I look at him in the eyes, I'm, I'm like, yeah, are you not? And then he told me, I hate faggots. He said it in French, like, je déteste PD et tout, je veux tous vous tuer, which means I hate all the gays, I'm, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you all. And he pulled out a screwdriver from his pocket, and he tried to stab me in the chest. And I put my left arm right in front of my chest to block it. And the screwdriver went through my, went through my hand. I still have the mark on my hands today. And that day, I thought that was the end. I just thought, 
my parents will see probably my dead body the next day. I'll be in the news for another gay that got killed for, I don't know, for meeting other people online. And he tried to stab me once. Since he, the first attempt failed, he pulled out the screwdriver from my, my hand. He tried to stab me a second time, and someone appeared out of nowhere. I don't know who that guy was. That guy tried to stop him. And he ended up running away. He got on his bike and he ran away. When I got home, I had to explain to my parents what happened. And I actually never told the real story to my parents till now. They think, I told them pretty much that I got robbed by someone who wanted to get my money, take my wallet, and I didn't want him, I wanted to fight back. So he ended up stabbing me because had I, tell, had I told them that I got stabbed because I went on a date with a guy who actually faked to be gay, that would have been, been worse. I don't even know if, I don't know what they would have done, but I never felt comfortable telling them the real story. I did my undergrad in Yaoundé, which is the capital of Cameroon, but I was born and raised in Douala, which is the economic capital of Cameroon. There's two capitals in the country. So usually for the winter break or for the spring break, I would go back home in Douala to spend time with my family. So I met this guy, Joel, who was my boyfriend, and we spent long hours on the phone every day because he was living in a different city. And I remember during the holiday for Christmas, I went back to Douala to spend time with my family. And I was on the phone with my boyfriend. Around like 1 a.m., it was really late at night. And my brother who was sleeping next door was listening to my entire conversation. And when I hung up the phone with my boyfriend, he banged the door and said, I heard everything I'm gonna tell mom and dad and everybody else. I freaked out. I thought that was the end of it for me because I was in the process of moving to the United States and one small scandal like that would have messed up everything and I wouldn't, my parents would have never let me move. So I opened the door, I ran to his room and tried to beg him to open the door to talk about it and he didn't want to, um, he didn't want to talk to me. And he pretty much, I told him that if he says something, it's going to affect the entire family. I don't need, we don't need that. And I tried to explain it to him like from the door, but he pretty much ignored me that day, that night. And for the next eight months before I moved to the United States, he didn't talk to me at all. Like we were living in the same house, having dinner on the, at the same table. And no one, actually no one noticed that he wasn't talking to me. My mom, my other brothers, no one noticed it, acknowledged it, because like he would see me in the hallway, he would just pass me without saying any, no hi, no nothing. I had a car at the time, and sometimes I would drive my brother to school, and he would rather take a cab or walk instead of getting in my car, just because he knew that I was gay. And for a long time, we didn't talk, we didn't communicate at all. When I moved to the U.S., we had no, no, no contact at all. And he moved to the U.S. two years ago for, for college. One day I got a message from my brother on Facebook asking me for help with his college application and his personal statements because I work for college so I have a lot of experience doing that. 
I was so happy to be to help him with that. I right away I responded to his message. I got on it. I had work to get done. I stopped doing everything. For me, it was just a an amazing opportunity for me to reconnect with my brother that I haven't talked to, that I haven't really connected with in years. So I sent him a message back. I thank him for actually seeking help for me, and I review his personal statement, his college application. I gave him a lot of advice. And I felt like at that moment we reconnected, we started like talking about our lives, our days, his transition from Cameroon to the United States, how he was dealing with having new friends. I feel like we, had, we, we got that brother-to-brother brother, brother relationship back. Here's President Obama. Our nation was founded on a bedrock principle, that we are all created equal. He was a... I don't know, I feel like it was a life-changing information for me because, especially since I grew up knowing that I was different and there was something wrong with me and that I would probably never have a family, I would never have kids, I would never be able to just live my life without people pointing fingers at me or being discriminated against. And now that I'm realizing that in the future, I won't really have to deal with it as much as it used to be in the past. That's was a very big emotional moment for me, especially going to see the parade and seeing lots of people celebrating, um, celebrating love and equality. So that was a good, that was a good moment for me. I mean, I changed my profile picture with the gay flag, with my photo in the background. Children, no matter what. And slowly made an entire country realize that love is love. My brother had made plans to visit me um, this summer in July, and we talked about what the itinerary, what he was going to do. I already had everything planned, planned, planned out for him: going to see Broadway shows, visiting, seeing the street art in Bushwick, going to the movies, seeing Central Park. And today, I get a text from him saying that he canceled his trip because of my profile picture on Facebook. He told me that eight years ago, he thought it was just a phase, and he thought I would get over it, and that's why he actually re reconnected with me. And now he's realizing that I'm still living that lifestyle. He doesn't share my beliefs, which is why he doesn't want to come to New York, and he doesn't want to have any contact with me because of that. So I guess we're back to square one. I don't feel like, I don't feel at home in Cameroon anymore. I feel at home in New York. That's why I don't want to live in New York. And when, even when I went back, I feel like I was, I had to play, to put on that uh, mask, you know, and I had to behave for a week. When they asked me questions about my girlfriend, I have to talk about this imaginary girl that I have in my life. Or when, it, when my uncles asked me about kids or marriage and I have to tell them, yeah, it's coming soon, yeah, I'm gonna have a girlfriend, things are going well, but actually I have a boyfriend and things are going well too, you know? I mean, I'm happy but not with a girl, but I can't tell them the, the, the real story.
anniversary is actually in two weeks. And he's an amazing man. He's a high school teacher. He has a career. He's very supportive. I don't have to like watch my back every time I go out or when I hold my boyfriend's hand on the street. I don't have to check around and see if no one's looking. Or when I'm on the train, if I'm gonna hold his hand or kiss him. I don't have to really. It took me a while. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie about it. It took me about a year to pretty much adjust to it because I always had that fear that someone's gonna run and maybe try to stab us, or maybe someone's gonna curse us out, or someone's gonna punch us in the face, or something like that. I am a gay black man today, and just accept it and deal with it. Special thanks to Larry Kongia. You've been listening to Arrivals, the audio documentary series that features stories of migration, transformation, and change. This episode was produced, written, and recorded in closets, on laptops, and in the back of a bar by me, Jonathan Hirsch, along with Gabrielle Lewis and Nora Lind. Thanks to Stephen Spate and the Richardson for hosting our interview. If you have a story of migration, transformation, or change that you'd like to share with us, drop me a line. I'm at jonathanihirsch at gmail.com. Making this program is a labor of love. And if Larry's story or any of the other stories on this program have moved you, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. All you have to do is go to our website, awrvls.com, and click on the link at the top of the page. Letting others know that you value this program does make a difference. Our website also has links to everywhere else on the net that you can find us, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, photos of Larry, and all of our other guests. We also host live shows that are unlike anything else out there, a mixture of conversation, produced audio works, performance, and live sound design. The next one is in Brooklyn on August 11th at Pete's Candy Store. The theme is Endless Summer, so mark your calendars. Links to the event can be found on our website and in the show notes. Arrivals is a proud and founding member of The Herd, a new audio collective of six independently produced shows from all over North America. We've banded together to help promote one another's work, to share knowledge and resources. One program you have to check out on The Herd is How to Be a Girl. It's a serialized documentary show about Marlo Mack, and her experiences raising her transgender daughter. It's beautiful, heartfelt, and charming. How to Be a Girl is about raising my transgender daughter. Well, transgender is when, for example, your kid is born and you think it's a boy, but it feels like a girl. And I really, I really have no idea what I'm doing or how this is all going to turn out. But so far, so good. My favorite thing about being transgender is that I'm myself now. Check out all the other herd shows. Tales of the Night, Machinery of Man, Life's Many Returns, and the Stories from Next Door. All at herdradio.com. What was that? 
H-E-A-R-D, radio.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. Thank you for listening. And until we meet again, may you wind up where you need to be.